Welcome, listeners, to www.ironradio.org, the website and podcast for all things strength sports and sports nutrition. With your hosts, Lonnie Lowry. Remember, Phil is like a gnarled old oak tree held together with scar tissue and bone spurs. Rob Fortney. And I'm telling you, the pain that I would suffer was beyond excruciating. And Phil Stevens. Do it, Rob. You'll kill all those nerves. Thanks for listening. Welcome, IronRadio.org listeners. This is Lonnie Lowry. I'm an exercise physiologist and a nutritionist, and I'm a former competitive bodybuilder. Hey, Rob Fortress Fortney. I'm a former uh, editor at Muscle Mag International. Rest in peace. Former competitive bodybuilder and powerlifter. And this is Phil Stevens. I'm a powerlifter, strength coach, Highland Games athlete, run strike guild, and lift for hope. Right on. Everybody, we have um, Christine Bongiovanni, IFBB professional bodybuilder, with us today. She's been on before, and it was such a good interview, we asked her back. Uh, we've got a little bit of news here today before uh, we get to Chris. And um, actually, we're going to tackle the topic today of um, two topics, really, contest prep for bodybuilding. And, um, and I'm sure some of this will apply to fitness and bikini and whatnot as well. And then um, common posing errors so sort of a bodybuilding centric show today but um first things first uh two interesting bits of news came across my desk strength and muscle sport news one of them is about calcium and bone i don't know if listeners realize but if you go look up bone density in lifters especially guys who lift explosively it's very high um in fact interestingly although you lose some bone density when you stop lifting Long-time lifters, like what Phil and Rob and I would call a lifer, those guys, even when they're old, they have uh, they still have denser bones than had they never lifted. So there is some lingering effect with that kind of stuff. But anyway, this new study, uh, June uh, 2013, says taking calcium and vitamin D before exercise might influence how your bones adapt to it, uh, according to some results presented at the Endocrine Society's 95th annual meeting in San Francisco. The timing of calcium supplementation, and not just the amount, may be an important factor, says Dr. Vanessa Shirk from the University of Colorado. It says, previous research has shown that a year of intense training, and again, they're talking mostly about uh, cardio, as you might guess, so you're not going to see as much in the general media about just lifting, but a year of intense training is associated with substantial decreases in bone mineral density in cyclists. It says experts believe that this kind of exercise-induced bone loss could be the, the loss of calcium actually during the exercise. Um, apparently, there's a decrease in your blood calcium. And what they did was they actually gave them calcium and vitamin D either before exercise, 30 minutes before or an hour after. And they were trying to stop this drop in blood calcium. Let's see, 1,000 milligrams of calcium and 1,000 international units of vitamin D. Uh, like I said, 30 minutes before or one hour after and um, they partly fixed this drop in blood calcium. So they're suggesting that uh, maybe vitamin D and calcium might be an exercise timing issue. That's what caught my eye with all this, right? We know that carbs and protein are probably, you know, pre, mid, post-workout sensitive. Uh, fats, probably not so much. But now we've actually got evidence that micronutrients, right, like vitamin D and calcium, you might want to time that. The obvious next step I'd like to see would be something with weight training, of course, especially explosive lifting, um, to see if you can get even you know more dense bones over the course of a training period when you're dosing the calcium and the vitamin D right before and right after you lift. 
but I had never seen anything about vitamins, you know, and the mm. pre-mid post-workout window, you know, or minerals like that. So you heard it here first. How about that? There you go. <laughs> um, the next one is quite different. I got this from Mike Nelson. A lot of our f- listeners are familiar with Mike. This kind of blew my mind. It's the effects of caffeine and carbohydrate mouth rinses on repeat sprint performance. They're not swallowing it. They're taking carbohydrate drinks or caffeine drinks or a combination, and all they're doing is swishing it in their mouth before explosive exercise. Now, I'm immediately, you know, being Dr. Frankenstein, sort of thinking about what this would do for a powerlifter, for example, right? I mean, if you swish the caffeine and the carbohydrates right before you get on the platform, is it actually going to enhance your lift? Well, that's not specific with this. This is a, a study by Beaven and colleagues, um, Applied Physiology, Nutrition, Metabolism, June 2013, um, here it says 12 males performed five uh, six-second long sprints on a bike ergometer. So they're not lifting, but they're doing explosive anaerobic exercise. They gave them 25 milliliters of either um, non-caloric placebo, uh, 6% glucose, so in other words, basically sports drink strength, or a 1.2% caffeine solution. All they did was rinse it in their mouth for five seconds, before, you know, right before and in between the bike sprints. In increased power, it says compared with placebo, the mouth rinse, uh, the carbohydrate substantially increased peak power in the sprinting exercise, and both caffeine and carbohydrate improved mean power. So not just the the spike, but the average amount of power they could generate. Um, And then the caffeine and carbohydrate combination was actually the greatest. It says we conclude that carbs uh, and or caffeine mouth rinses may rapidly enhance power output which could have benefits for specific short-term exercise performance. It says the ability of mouth rinse interventions to rapidly improve maximal exercise performance in the absence of fatigue, right? So this isn't about delaying fatigue at all, suggests some kind of central mechanism. So I don't know. You've heard about, um, even on the show here, we have Bill Eben talking about mouthpieces, you know, biting down to stimulate your central nervous system and get better strength and whatnot, but... There'd be something, there's something somebody can patent. Have a mouthpiece that you dip in caffeine and sugar <laughs> and then put it in your mouth right before you do your lift. But I don't, I thought that was amazing because it's not about swallowing it. It's not about the fuel source. It's something that, you know, it's a direct nervous system thing just by swishing it in your mouth. Hmm. More power output. Yeah. Um, got another one here, too. It's come up again. The Boy Scouts banned... Some umpteen thousand people from their jamboree this year. Um, any any adult or child with a high BMI was not allowed to come to the jamboree. Oh boy. Uh, yeah. So well, you know that you know, that puts everybody on the phone right now out out of the out of the game with that, right? Exactly. And that's you know <laughs> I was looking it up. It was like, come on, you know, it, why use such an archaic method? If they're gonna if they're gonna do that, they need to have a physical test. You know, Absolutely. you've got to be able to do this stuff to come, you know, because I guarantee there's plenty of, you know, strong adults and kids. And, yeah, so there's a big... Now, admittedly, BMI is a decent indicator of body fatness in the average population. I, yeah. I think we're sore about it because being lifters, you know, we're like, wait, you know. I mean, nobody wants to pay high-risk insurance because they're they're jacked, you know. And if you, you want, want to the think, though, in general, if you're in the scouts, you've got to be somewhat active. You know, you're going to be an active person anyways, at, most At life. the very oh. least, I agree with you. They should have some type of policy where you could simply appeal 
you know, very yeah. easily, and then they could actually do a little, you know, skin caliper test or something. Yep. Or, yeah, you know. it's an awesome kind of abilities test or anything. So, yeah, so that's kind of a big to-do again. That seems like a lack of education. That comes up in the news all the time, doesn't it? Body, body mass index is not body composition. Yeah. <sighs> <Anyway>. I'm happy. <laughs> I mine again. I'm still, I still haven't made it to grade 3 obesity, even though I've been trying to, but I'm still high grade 2. I'm in the 98th percentile, so I'm heavier than 98% of the other people my Are age. You, that's, that's nice. So, I... I <laughs> When you guys, when I ate myself up over uh, 220, I was um, I was pushing 31 body mass index, so I was officially obese. Fantastic. Now, Christine, I don't know about you. Uh, are women, do you run into that sort of stuff? You know, high body mass index interfering with your insurance and all that kind of stuff. Well, I haven't had a problem with it, but um, I guess I don't hear too much about it. Um, <laughs> I guess it, it could be a problem for some people. I imagine if my insurance company checked me, it would be a problem because yeah. I'm obviously yeah. not falling within the the typical um, averages. But right. no, I guess I don't hear too much about that. They just don't take into consideration that you know, wait for height, right? That's all that is, of course. Right. Listeners know that, right? I mean, and we all it makes us look bad. <laughs> it makes right. Us look well, bad. yeah, the numbers the numbers don't look so good. No. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> the uh, the general numbers. Absolutely. So, okay, let's let's move on to you a little bit here, Christine. If you could just uh remind listeners uh, who you are first. Um I am a, a very much retired IFBB professional bodybuilder, uh but I still judge NPC national shows uh, and looking forward to one day being an IFBB pro judge, um, promoter of NPC shows here locally in Minnesota and North, uh, well, I don't promote in North Dakota, I'm the chairman in North Dakota, and I own a personal training business where I focus on athletes that are prepping for physique competitions. Right. Well, that's uh, the judge aspect and the fact that you have a business that prepares people. Obviously, that makes you a perfect person to interview about how to get ready for a comp test or, you know, what are mistakes that people do when they're actually on stage. But before we get to that, let me ask you. Um, so you're pursuing IFBB judge status. Pro judge. I'm, I'm hoping to be in the next couple of years, but not yet. Okay. not So not yet. Um, no. What does what that the, entail? Yeah, what is the process to be? Uh, um, well, it's probably more of um, I've been a national judge, I want to say, for six years. And so I, I think I need to put a little more time in. My, myself, I probably could approach um, Sandy Rinaldi and, and the people that decide who becomes a pro judge. And um, I might be able, they might say, well, let's start the process. But right now, I'm not quite comfortable going to that level. I'm feeling pretty confident with my national judging. But the pro level is so different that um, I'm giving myself a little bit more time. Plus, we've got some of these new divisions that I feel I need a little more time in. So I like to be feel very comfortable in what I'm doing before I approach the next level. But the process uh, is basically just asking and doing a written 
and uh, a written test and a judging practice uh, where you actually judge the pro, a pro show. And then they take all things into consideration and tell you yes or no. Honestly, when I took the test for the NPC national judging status, I thought I totally failed. And the next show that I went to, the Board of Governors meeting, I was told I was judging that show. So where other judges I've heard, that, or test judges I've heard, they've gone through the process for years and never been promoted. So um, oh. I think it it might be somewhat somewhat political in the sense of of what you know and how you interact with the a- actual athletes um, and how you deal with the judges and uh, as well as your knowledge of the system. A lot right. of people don't know the rules and regulations within the, the federation, so it takes some time to, to pass that test. So on some level, you're expected to judge similarly to some criterion judge? Is that... Correct. Part of the process? Correct. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Correct. Um, maybe let's just talk quickly about some of what you've got going on now. Um, so you, you were talking about being a contest promoter. In fact, that was our topic on our the last time we interviewed you. So I know you've got some competitions that are growing in popularity up there. We do. I, I think it's been maybe two years since we've talked, and uh, we have added another show to our state. I am not promoting that show, but Duluth is now, um, we've got some promoters up in Duluth, the northern part of the state. In our shows, we had our biggest show yet um, in June last month with, I believe, 167 or so athletes. So they can, are continuing to grow. The You also interviewed at that same time Tom Kemper, who promotes uh, the show up in North Dakota, and his has continued to grow. So I believe all over the country with these new divisions that they have introduced, uh, it's continuing to grow. I believe, did we have men's physique when we did that, that interview? Or was it um, just starting? I think it had just, just started. Just starting, yep. Yeah, yeah. I'll be honest with you, that's a hard one for me to get my head around, um, the men's uh, physique. Yeah. Uh, I I don't know. I when, when I was in St. Louis competing that same year, there was actually some derogatory comments thrown out about the you know the the men's physique guys and stuff, and it just it hurts me being sort of bottom heavy, you know, to have my legs covered up. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, I hear you. I There's know. been since then uh, the athletes have acclimated to it, I guess you would say, and I think it has evolved in a good way because the guys with skinny legs, whether you have board shorts on or not, you can tell whether you have leg development, glute development or not, and, you know, the guys that are super top-heavy do not win. Okay. You know, you have to be somewhat symmetrical, but I think it's gotten a little more respect. I say that as a state chairman and a representative of the NPC, but uh, you you see some great physiques, and that's what they were looking for is to include these athletes that train but aren't looking to become bodybuilders. Right. Now, I I guess part of the impetus was a broader appeal for those guys, right? They're just... Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. Okay. All right. Um, Well, I'll tell you, I I don't want to talk too much about your... um, 
your contest prep business until we come back from break, uh, because that's mm-hmm. directly relevant to our topic, of course. So um, just one last thing. Any other major projects you have going on, or do the, do the competitions keep you busy? How the, the competitions keep me busy. My business is evolving a bit in the sense of we're, we're doing a lot more seminar-type training and trying to hit more people than the one-on-one, and part of that is because I obviously, after 25 years, am looking to get out of more of the one-on-one training type thing. Mm-hmm. So that's what we've been doing and getting the education out there on a more affordable level for people. Oh, okay. Yeah. Cool. Okay. Well, everybody, we're going to go to break, and when we come back, we're going to talk about, um, you know, uh, what Christine uh, has her clients do on some level at least I'm not going to spill all the goodies here but uh, to get ready for competitions um, diet for a competition for example and then what are some of the common mistakes that we'll see when it comes to posing and being on stage Hi, this is Dr. Lonnie Lowry and on behalf of Phil and Rob I'd just like to let listeners know that if you love us or you hate us We'd like you to leave a comment or perhaps vote for us on iTunes. It helps us out quite a bit on the popularity side of things. Uh, You can also follow uh, Dr. Lowry, me, on Twitter. Uh, It's Lawnman7 on Twitter if you want to do that. We also have a Facebook page, the Iron Radio uh, listeners page. So uh, whether it's leaving a comment or voting for us or following us on Twitter or Facebook, uh, that would be fantastic. Also, uh, occasionally Rob or myself will write an article for another website, and Phil will as well. So lots of ways to um, interact, uh, follow us in other media, and vote for us and uh, keep things going strong on Iron Radio. Thanks. Hi, this is Dr. Lowry with an update on the protein book that you hear about in the ad at the end of the show. Uh, If you simply Google CRC Press and protein, uh, there's a new development. On the right side of the page, you can see ebook, and there's a purchase slash rent option. And the cool thing here is if you check that out now, because they have an agreement with Vital Book, uh, you can actually download the ebook for $69 US dollars. So that's 31% off the $99.95 uh, cover price. So that's pretty fantastic. $69, I think that's going to drop it into the affordable range for a lot of people. And you can even rent it. Uh, lower down the page, they have 180-day rentals and one-year rentals. So you can access the book in electronic format and get some of this juicy information. So thanks. Fix of Iron Radio. In addition to being a popular institute on iTunes, we are also on email. Simply go to www.ironradio.org and sign up for the voluntary email. You'll get a once per week email, no more, that's little more than the show notes and a link to the audio. So go for it.
Okay, welcome back, everybody. It's Phil and Rob and Lonnie, and we're with IFBB professional bodybuilder Christine Bongiovanni, also a contest promoter and a preparer of, you know, champions for the bodybuilding stage, fitness stage. And so that's our topic really for today is contest prep. So let's start with your general outlook on this, uh, Christine. Like, what's the total number of weeks that you count down? Do you like to work with someone a full year out in, in preparation for an event? Is it 20 weeks? Is it 12? What about time frames here? Well, I love the way you ask that question because so many people approach a trainer eight weeks out, six weeks out, okay. and want help. And so when you say, is it a year out, a year out would be lovely <laughs> because um, you know, the trainer then knows what they're working with. And so they can develop their training program, weight training program, their eating program according to what they look like right now um, versus you being even 12 weeks out, three months out, and maybe really only being able to help you continue to get lean or not, you know, to continue to not get too lean, which can be a problem for some people. But so what would I like a year would be ideal because that gives the trainer enough time to, one, put possibly be able to put on a little bit of size, teach the person to possibly eat correctly if they're not eating correctly, and if they're doing everything correctly, you can let them continue as is and then monitor them a little less frequently until it gets to be, you know, real contest prep usually starts about six months out in the sense of, you know, you're not planning on putting any more size on. You're now just working on sculpting that physique down to uh, stage ready, competition ready. Right. Now, if, if I can then, so let's say you do get that ideal situation. It's almost a year. You could put a, a little mass on somebody maybe or work on weak parts, what have you. But when it comes to fat loss then, uh, what's your preference? I mean, if the choices are essentially add in cardio, add more sets and reps, or restrict you know, the diet. Um, where do you lie on that spectrum? I personally am the... I like to be able to have the athlete consume more calories and do a little more cardio and burn more calories than the opposite. Now, everybody is different uh, depending upon their body, um, as you guys know, there's different ways to get to the same body fat percentage. And um, I feel like the athlete mentally can be more on top of his game when he, he or she can eat more and have to do a little more cardio than when they're keeping their carbs super low and basically just weight training and maybe practicing their posing as far as expending energy. Mm -hmm. I remember uh, 
Rob, you'll probably remember, I think it was John Perillo used to say, uh, I'd rather have my athletes eat more, do more, and be more than yeah. eat less, do less, and be less. Yeah. No, I, I was going to say I totally agree with the whole idea of increase your activity and eat more food rather than doing less, for sure. It feels so much better, and you, in the end, you actually look better. The conditioning of the muscle is a lot better. Um, and people that say they hate cardio, I, and they still may hate cardio in the end, but and and actually that person or that athlete doesn't appreciate what they do until they do it the other way um, yeah. and see for themselves what it's like to go for long periods without carbohydrates and you feel way worse than if you were had to do some cardio. Yeah, you're in good company. We're all of the opinion that carbs are not necessarily evil. You know, you'll see bodybuilders, they'll cut way too much of their carbohydrates out almost from the very beginning. And A, that leaves you nowhere to go. You, that, there's yeah. no stepwise progression down from then. And then B, Correct. they lose just a ton of muscle mass. Their metabolism slows down. Correct. I've even yeah. seen guys that were not natural lose enormous amounts of muscle mass. And listeners have yeah. heard us talk about that. And it, So, yeah, uh, huge uh, agreement on that. Um, so what about the cardio? Uh, are you a fan of sort of like um, get up in the morning and do it separate? Do you like to do it? at the end uh, of a workout with your clients? Uh, what's your thoughts? Well, ideally, in a perfect world, it would be great if you could separate them out. And, uh, you know, people always ask that question. If, if you can work your schedule, and most people can, it just requires they get up earlier, where you can do your weight separate from your cardio, it's going to be better because you're not... Obviously, you're, you need that recovery time. So if you're in the gym for two hours, you're not getting any recovery time in there. But some people need to do that. And so if that's the case, I try to get them to take a break, get some protein in, and then maybe do more of a, a hit-type session where they're not in there for quite as long. Right, yeah. Yeah, I understand. Uh, there are some people who would suggest... That the separate cardio, like you know, when you get up in the morning, is almost um, traditional bodybuilding approach, you know, as opposed to trying to get fancy in some other way. But uh, I'm a, I'm a big fan of that too, and I think a lot of bodybuilders still do that. It's a tried and true way mm-hmm. not to interfere with your weights, you know. Right. So. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, and and then a lot of people ask, should I do it in the morning or should I do it at night? And I believe it. it doesn't matter. I mean, ideally, yes, get up in the morning, do your cardio, and then train in the evening. But some people prefer to train in the morning and do their cardio at night. Whatever works best for your body and your mental state is what I say. But I don't, when you do cardio in the evening, you're just helping to hold your, increase your metabolism where it's starting to slow down at the end of the night, you're picking it back up a bit. So um, I think either case is, is good. Yes, you sort of answered my next question, which was how do you address individual differences with people? But I think that's a really good point, right? If somebody's a morning person and they can actually caffeinate, we've actually had some competitors on before, they'll get up, they'll take some caffeine, and they'll just you know, go beast mode very early in the morning. Uh, if I tried that, I would frankly hurt myself. <laughs> think, yeah, you know. Yep. Uh, but yeah, that's a good point. That not everybody's going to be doing the their um, 
you know, the fat specific calorie drain, you know, the cardio stuff uh, in the morning, if they're going to be lifting at that time, just because they can, they can manage that. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, what about final week? And I, I know this is your business, so I don't want to, you know, reveal all your secrets in a way, but a lot of people have questions about water balance and, you know, let's say they've gotten lean, they're working with an experienced coach and they're lean ahead of time, you know, uh, just maybe a week or two ahead and you can, you have a chance to sort of experiment. Uh, is there anything that you do with water balance, like sodium load and then deplete or distilled water on a certain day before the competition, all that kind of stuff? Um, you know, first of all, I don't think there are any secrets and, um, if there are any, I've tried some of what were supposed secrets and they didn't work at all. You know, so I've tried the, uh, when I was doing the international, Miss International, um, I won't say the name of the coach this came from because everybody would know who he is. He's married to uh, multiple time Miss Olympia. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> right, okay. I did the water depletion for two days, no water. I sucked on ice cubes and went against all logic. And, and I have an engineering background, so logic is important to me. <laughs> and uh, But I did it. I thought, well, maybe this is the magic trick. And, of course, I was flat. And when I started to pose, everybody said I looked great because I was pumping blood blood into the muscle, but there was no water in the muscle, so I was flat. Mm -hmm. uh, do I do water depletion and sodium depletion? It, it depends, again, on the person. Yeah. I do believe in keeping sodium in the diet while the, the athlete is dieting. And if they will do that, then I like to keep the sodium high that week of the show, uh, the beginning of that last week of the show, mm -hmm. so that when they cut it out, they're able to flush out any sodium that they don't need in the muscle for their sodium uh, potassium balance. Um, and then typically I cut it out for two days. Okay, two days. Um, I once, I think it was Lee Labrada said, salt your food to taste up until about Wednesday or Thursday and then it's right. and then you just kind of drop the drop the sodium at that point but don't overthink right. it i think so many bodybuilders right. at that point right they overthink yeah. it right yes it's too, and that's not the way it should be it should be simple it, it really the simpler the better uh, the water i have people drink a lot of water i mean guys over 200 pounds are drinking you know, three gallons or more, and um, so that when they cut down, they might be cutting to a gallon on Friday, so they're cutting two-thirds of their water intake, but yet they're still taking in enough water to stay full. Right, yeah. If, if the athlete is carb-loading, which a lot of them do, um, and then a lot of them don't drink any water, they don't realize that what they're doing is senseless. Eating all those carbs and not drinking any water isn't going to get them anything. Yeah, right. Then the, the glycogen won't inflate their muscles with water and all that. Exactly. So, yeah. And so a lot of people don't realize that. Um, so I don't cut water. I mean, I cut water, but in you know when you look at it, they're still drinking a lot of water. Right. Now, you talk about carb loading. Are they doing that midweek, or are they going to do that right up uh, to the show? Do you leave the Friday before a competition to kind of judge, 
you know, should they go up or down on the carb intake? When I'm working with a new athlete that I have not worked with before and they have no um, journal that shows what they did in the past and no photos to go with that journal, um, then I, I'm a conservative <clears throat> person. So I will have them carb load through up to Thursday. So they probably deplete Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, and then Wednesday, Thursday, load, and then Friday is left to see what happens. But if I've been watching them and monitoring what they do throughout their diet, I pretty much know how their body is going to react. But I still leave that last day just because not everybody's honest with what they do. Mm-hmm. And I, that way I can either keep their carbs the same drop them or increase them. Just Can like you ballpark? Um, so I know people are grossly different sizes and whatnot, but is there a number that you don't like to go over? Like, I really don't want to go over 400 grams a day when I carb these guys up. Or, right. you know, is there a ballpark there that you think about? Or it's all just based on their diet log up to that point? Um, you know, for for women, though they probably could, go over 200, I hardly ever go over 200. Okay. Uh, female bodybuilders, where I've worked with, if I've worked with them for years, I, I might go up to 400 with them. Okay. Um, though, though I know what their bodies react, how their bodies will react. With guys, if they're first timers and they're, you know, like 175 pounds or so, probably around the 400 mm-hmm. uh, mark. And again, I kind of use their high day while they're dieting, what their highest day was, and use that as kind of my mark. Because if I know they could consume that while they were dieting and fill up fairly well um, and while they're training, I mean, I know that they can do that, you know, the day before the show or two days before the show. There's guys that are maybe two and a quarter that might do six, seven, 800 grams of carbs. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Are there certain food sources that you like? Is it going to be like traditional yams and rice and that sort of thing, or uh, or what do you like? Pretty pretty much. I If it's an experienced athlete, I will, while I'm cutting their water back, I also cut their water through their carbs, if that makes sense. So like on Wednesday, uh, they might be doing a really wet carb like rice. Uh, and Thursday might be a, a more dry, wet carb, like potato. And then Friday might be, based on how they look, half wet, half dry, yams, sweet potatoes, some rice cakes, uh, some of your higher glycemic carbs, mm-hmm. and then carbs with less water in them. Uh, one more question before I ask you about posing. What about no-no foods? Are there things, like traditionally you'll talk to bodybuilders, they don't like wheat or dairy or certain things in the last few weeks before a competition. Are there are there things that, you know, they, it might not necessarily be in like the scientific literature, but bodybuilders avoid uh, for cosmetic reasons? Uh, you know, there are all kinds. The whole gluten and the dairy thing that depends for me upon the athlete. If they keep it in and they're still getting lean, I, I might cut it the last week just because of 
not knowing if they have any sort of allergic reaction and I want their system to be processing food as fast as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, it's basically keeping out any sort of processed foods okay. that would have any type of chemical that we wouldn't know the reaction in the body. Hey, Rob, when you competed, did you did you avoid stuff like, I don't know, any of these no-no foods that you sometimes hear about? And did you uh, cut water and make yourself dry up that way or try to? Um, you know, I, I just, uh, no, I didn't really have any foods that I particularly avoided. And as far as water is concerned, I just, uh, I tried the whole cutting water thing out. And I didn't really take to that too much, so I would just drink as much water as I physically could the last few days. And I, I think the last competition I did, which was many years ago now, I think I stopped like noon the, the day before or something like that. And okay. uh, that seemed to work quite fine. So, Did you fool around with distilled versus tap water and all that, or did you just basically drink regular water until until Friday at noon? Yeah, no, I did the distilled water thing. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> only because it was something that was told to me. That's, that's why I'm not saying too much here while you guys are going back and forth, because... You know, this is this is the aspect of all the stuff that I don't consider myself an expert in. So, well, you were you, know. you were in shape, brother, when you competed. So, you know, <laughs> yeah, but you know what? It, it, I owe that more just to my work ethic than really kind of knowing scientifically what I was doing. Mm-hmm. Um, which is why earlier I made the suggestion that I think it's always better just to to increase activity than to eat less. Um, yeah, because I just ate as much as I could as long as it was relatively clean and then but my activity level was so high and you know not like a lot of bodybuilders I I, I really hold fast to the whole idea that you know what made you look the way you look <clears throat> you know like three months out is the way that you know is, is going to make you look that way the day of the show so I never stopped you know deadlifting and squatting and all those types mm-hmm. of things and uh, you know, my and I also really held fast to what the suggestion that was being made earlier about you know keeping things very, which is very easy for me compartmentalizing things because I'm like that. I like having tasks very separated, um, so I never kind of confused my cardio with my weight training with uh, with my eating. I kept them very very separated. So. You know, I'd get up in the morning. And, and again, a lot of what I did was basically just, and I'm not going to lie about it, I mean, I didn't really, you know, have any grounds to, you know, I mean, I had opinions based on experience of why maybe I thought those things were valid, but, you know, I didn't have any scientific background. I, most of what I did was basically just, you know, um, <clears throat> taking what a lot of people who I thought were successful to a, de- to a degree and kind of carrying on with what they were telling me worked for them, so... Well, let's let's be honest. I mean, you can talk about scientific validity, but you're not going to see this kind of stuff in a textbook when it comes to cosmetic effects of certain foods or manipulating sodium and carbohydrates and that sort of thing. I mean, once in grad school, we did a carb loading experiment and just tape measured people's arms to see if there was an actual physical increase in muscle girth, you know. But I mean, rarely do you see something in a medical physiology textbook that's going to give you this kind of information. So if you don't go to the experienced competitors, you know, you're sort of, I don't know, rummaging around in the dark. You know? Yeah, you know, I was... 
Scientists was, don't care about this stuff necessarily. <laughs> you know, I was just very traditional as far as, like I said, I got up very early in the morning. In fact, that last competition, I was still an editor at Muscle Mag. I would get up before work and ride on a stationary bike in the pitch black. I'd put a towel over my head and basically be half asleep uh, doing 40, 45 minutes of cardio. Go to work, eat all day, um, you know, get laughed at by Bob Kennedy and stuff because I had blenders and stuff all over my desk. And then... You know, I'd go home, do my dishes, have something to eat, and I'd go to the gym. And, you know, like, it, it's kind of, like, prophetic that I'm a powerlifter now or, you know, I'm more of a strength enthusiast because, as people who know me know, I was always considered myself a power bodybuilder, which is a term I kind of, you know, stole from the Barbarian Brothers. The whole idea that, to me, it's like I never really kind of related to guys who went in the gym saying, I want to be bigger. I always relate to guys saying, I want to be stronger because, to me... It's all about size following strength. And, and of course, the definitions of strength not having to be, you know, uh, specific to an absolute strength kind of powerlifting type of, you know, mode or something like that. But, you know, so even when I it was a bodybuilder, I still always looked at the weight training as a strength training. You know, yeah. that, and that's what I meant mean when I say it, when I said a couple minutes ago the whole idea that I, I never confused the two. You know, like this whole idea of like, um, you know... Uh, you know, etching in detail with exercises and, you know, an isolation exercise here so I can shape the muscle. And it, to, to me, that was all just hooey, you know. So I would just go in and, you know, just try and be as strong as I could and, and you know, and work towards that. You know, yeah, when you were really talking about the squatting and deadlifting, I heard Christine sort of nodding approval. So, Christine, you like to keep the weights um, up throughout <laughs> the process then? Or? I have to say that. My seminars and my teaching has changed quite a bit with the addition of these new uh, divisions mm -hmm. because even just a seminar last weekend, I had a figure girl in there who has comp competed multiple times, and I was talking about how you're training two weeks out, three weeks out, and, and basing it on how you feel going in and, and picking some good compound movement, going as heavy as you can, um, all relatively heavy. You know, it's, you're not going to be using the weights that you used in your off-season. And then if you felt weak, run down, superset, get a good pump, and then just get out of there. And the next workout will probably be much better. And the question was, that she was confused as to supersetting three weeks out from a show because she supersets all the time. Mm -hmm. So my typical teaching is to train heavy in the off-season, rest between sets, and, and that carries through with contest prep because especially at this level, there are very few, I can't say that there are any athletes that I see that don't need to put on any more size. Maybe for the division they choose to compete in, but they could still train to put on size. And in order to put on size, of course, you have to be get stronger. You have to use more weight. Um, I get such odd looks when I'm at these seminars with, the bikini athletes, and not so much the men's physique, because a lot of them still train heavy, but 
they don't understand the difference between contest prep training and off-season training. They they don't know how to train heavy and rest between sets so that the next set they can maybe use more weight. Mm -hmm. Uh, and, And that's very frustrating to me, but I'm I also realize that I'm we're now trying to appeal to a larger group of people. It's not uh, the smaller group of power lifter, bodybuilder type athletes. So it's hard for me to do this, but slowly I do get these people to learn that in the off season I had a bikini athlete just she's done three shows now. And I just smiled when she said to me that she was done using the girly weights and she was doing curls with 25 pounds. That made me feel good. Like, she finally realized that she had to use some weight to improve. Mm -hmm. So, uh, yeah, I am a proponent of keeping the deadlifts in. I do usually tell athletes that things like squats, you have to be careful as you're losing body fat. That is one movement that you can you can hurt yourself doing it when your your joints are nice and tight and when you're getting lean and your joints aren't as tight. I usually tell people to stick their squats at the end of the workout, light up, lighten up the weight, and just do them for form. Okay. Um, you know, I like the whole concept you were saying about. Uh, you know, some people just not realizing the benefit of actually giving themselves proper time between sets. You know, to make um, to make a set. And this is my words now, kind of an event. And one of the diff- you know one of the things that has helped fast with me um, between my bodybuilding days and my days now as a powerlifter or whatever is the whole idea that a set should be an event. You know, it shouldn't just be something that you're just ripping out endless sets. And, and and if you're doing too many total work sets in a workout, how, how could that be, be the case where something is an event? You know, if you're doing like 50 sets or something like that. So, you know, I never understood the whole concept of, yeah, um, not allowing yourself that extra 60 seconds, two minutes, three minutes, whatever it might be, mm-hmm. so you can maximally perform on the event, which is the set. Mm-hmm. Um and and yeah. that's I think something where and, and that's that the kind of leads me into the whole idea that we've I mean, we've talked about this on the show a couple of years ago the whole idea of junk sets you know yeah. just sets just done for the set of for the sake of doing sets and I've always been a big and I've only gotten more so strict with this whole whole idea that you know when you actually do a set it should be an event it should be something that 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 is is more than just something to rattle off and check off in your notebook you know it should be something mm-hmm. that and you know, if if it's not something like a warm up or you know sometimes what I call groove sets or something where you're preparing for your work sets, then then it's just junk sets. And if you if if you can perform five ten percent better by waiting sixty more seconds or two minutes, then I think it's absolutely important that people do that. You know? Rob, but I, I think that dovetails with what Christine was saying just a, a minute ago, and I never thought about this really, Chris, but I guess. Like you're talking about these new classes, it's almost yeah. like a, a, a half a step toward general population. You know, yeah. where they're yeah. not, they don't have that mentality that you're talking yeah. about, Rob. Which is they, they, you know, want to enjoy that set. They feel like they have to exhaust themselves. You know, they just they want to check off, you know, a certain amount of volume in their log or whatever. Um, 
and they just don't have that same heavy brief mentality that I think a lot of power lifters or power bodybuilder type people have, right? So what they they get used to this body pump class, uh, yeah. what is the camp class, boot camp class, and so when I often I write an off season program after a show for these um, newer athletes and. Then they go through it themselves, and then I say, you know, do it a few times yourselves, and yourselves, and then I'll go through it with you. And they're sprinting from movement to movement. Yeah. And it, because yeah. they don't get, I mean, even in the seminar, I said it kind of took me a while to, you know, I was told, okay, you you do your warm up squats. I had the whole workout planned beforehand. I'd do a set of squats, and then I'd sit down with my head between my legs for two minutes, three minutes, and then I said, you know, when I started that, I was like, geez, I could get so much done in this time. But <laughs> after a few weeks, you start to see your weights go up, and, you know, you get into the mental aspect of attacking that bar and beating that bar, and it's a whole different game. and. They kind of looked at me like, hmm. And, you know, that's what I would really like to get to a lot of these athletes. But there's so many commercial programs out there where, you know, you need to sweat a gallon by the end of your workout. You need to be so exhausted you should be crawling out of the gym. And, of course, you know, when you do a, a real good strength workout, you don't necessarily walk out of the gym feeling like you've been gone through the meat grinder. That's what you say, Rob, all the time. Leave feeling invigorated and stimulated. Yeah, it's, well, I mean, it's, it's like it's it's kind of been been overused now, but Lee Haney used to hold the same, say the whole thing about annihilate, don't, um, stimulate, don't annihilate. Right. You know, and um, the thing is, when I, like, when I go into the gym, I know pretty much exactly how many sets I'm going to do. And pretty much outside of a couple of accessory exercises, I pretty much know that the, the poundage that's going to be used yeah. and for what reps. Now, I'm not saying that's not maybe a, a little bit more specific, specific to strength training purity than bodybuilding. But sure. the point is, is that, you know, I, I know I only have X amount of sets to, you know, to, to, to instigate something productive, you know, anabolic or whatever so you know and again I keep going back to the whole word of an event but it's almost like Tom Platt's another huge influence on me he used to always say how you know there's exercises and then there's squats now for him it was squats you know his his whole thing was you know the squat was separate it wasn't an exercise it was a a sport unto itself and I always took that and extrapolated that and kind of expanded that to kind of everything I do. You know, to me, everything is not, it's not an exercise. People are like, you know, it's even in the way, I, and I've mentioned this many times before, the whole idea of changing just the way I think, right? Like, I don't train chest and triceps anymore. I, tra- I train, you know, bench press and, you know, skull crushers. And, you know, it, it's kind of putting it, because I, I think bodybuilding in a lot of ways, and, and you keep um, using the word, you know, like athlete and so forth, and I like to think that it's an athletic type of thing, and it, of course it is, technically speaking, but I think over the years, a lot of contemporary bodybuilding has kind of made it look like it's, because there are so many different facets of competitive 
bodybuilding, you know, as far as the diet and then the preparation as far as the tan and the, the you know, the shaving and the posing routine and the and you know, that the actual training just becomes just another thing in this whole, you know, cache of things that you have to do. And to me, training has always been it. You know, and that's one of the reasons I think I don't compete as much as a lot of people do is because not that competing is not great, but you know what I mean? Because to me, training is everything. You know, like that's to me that's the, the that's the be all and end all. To me, there is it's not a means to an end, and I think a lot of contemporary bodybuilders have changed the the perception that oh well, the training is just a you know, and I I I'll even switch the word training to working out. You know, the working out, which to me is always a less serious kind of endeavor when you think of training versus working out. You know, exercisers work out, athletes train. You know, and a lot of contemporary bodybuilding has got this mindset that, you know, the workout is just, you know, just another thing, another thing that you have to check off. You know, to the mm-hmm. to, to the three or four months when you stand on the stage. And to me, that's that's blasphemy. Yeah. You know, so, to a guy who loves the training as much as I do, and Lonnie knows better than anybody on this planet how much I love training. To me, that's it. That is the be-all, end-all of everything. And, and it's even like, again, going back to Tom Platts, and I know I kind of refer to my heroes all the time, but that's why they're my heroes. You know, he used to always say that when he, comp- when he was on stage, like, he, first of all, he used to always refer to himself as a powerlifter pretending to be a bodybuilder. And I always kind of, you know, uh, felt kinship with that kind of a mentality. And he used to also say when he posed on stage, he was trying to convey to the audience his experiences in the gym. And I thought that was such a beautiful thing that he would say that because to me, it, it, again, as I'm saying, the tra- training is the be-all, end-all of everything. You know, it goes beyond even the competition. To, to me, the competition is not the most important thing. The, I think, you know, whether, Rob, what you're saying about contemporary guys, and we're just about out of time. In fact, we're going to have to move the, the um, posing mistakes maybe to, to the future, if that's okay with Christine. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. But... Um, what you're saying, I think, is true. So many guys, let's face it, theatrical nature of bodybuilding is definitely part of that. You know, with the super deep tan and the presentation, all these things are important. But like you said, they're not the essence of it. And I think you're right. The training has almost become no bigger. Let's imagine you're juggling several balls in the air. The training ball is not any bigger or more important than, you know, the diet ball or the cardio ball or the the primping ball, you know, and that's one of the reasons that I don't compete very often, aside from getting old now, but is yeah. is that, right, is the primping side doesn't appeal to me. In fact, it's super, supremely unappealing to me. Well, that's know? one of the reasons I, one of the reasons I kind of switched to powerlifting, not because I like bodybuilding any less, because I, although I make fun of bodybuilding, but I think anybody who's been involved <laughs> with it long enough becomes, you know, you, you just can't help but start making fun of it after a while. Um, not that you love it any less, but is, is all that, pre, you know, all the, all the kind of quote-unquote beauty pageant component of it. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. And again, that's, uh, I mean, that, that's not here, that's neither here nor there. But, but what you're saying level, is, but. I mean, harken back to the, to the you know, the days of, of yore, <laughs> you know, we've had some old-timer guys on here, and uh, physique display wasn't quite as like you said beauty pageant ish you know it was look how look at how powerful the physique looks and then they would go do well exactly i mean you look at lifts or whatever you know and well you know people people always talk about you know you have the two sides about like arms horse in there right when he used to compete you know like his posing was so less 
pageanty than a lot of guys today who, you know, think it's, you know, in the free posing round, they think it's acceptable. And yes, I did say that. They think it's acceptable to start gyrating around and <laughs> dancing with their red sequin posing trunks on. And, the little finger flicks. You, you know, know I, when I see up, that, I, I, I just tune out so fast. <laughs> Fast. I'm like, this is so much not what I want to see and what I, you know, versus a Rob, guy like it's Arnold. it's not what we grew up with. We didn't see yeah, that. Like, so right, like you, know. you know, people talk about Arnold being kind of bland in his posing, but he was a supremely masterful poser, you know. Um, and, I mean, yeah, he wasn't fancy, but, I mean, his posing was... Was yeah. I mean, you look at him when he was at his best posing. I mean, that, to me, is posing and bodybuilding. You know, that is projecting something that is not... You know, superfluous, like you're saying, and pageanty. That's just, you know, that that that's projecting to the audience again <sighs> what you you are and what you are as a weight trainer. You know, you can say right. bodybuilding, you can say physique athlete, you can say all this crap, but the bottom line is you're a weight trainer. You know, right. you train against resistance, right. and you got to project that. I mean, and I'm not saying everybody has to have the same persona and everybody has to, you know, pose to have be metal or everybody has to, you know, I mean, you want to bring your personality into it. But to me, there, there's a difference. Again, there, there's, that, there's that line that shouldn't be crossed, you know. Um, otherwise, it becomes like a, cir- side show circus, a side show circus act. And I don't like it to be that. Yeah, it becomes you know? less respectful in a way. It feels less like the Olympic Games and more like big time wrestling in a way. Exactly. You know. exactly. Well, you know what? Now we're we're doing just what I said we wouldn't do, which is we're drifting into the posing <laughs> and the presentation stuff. So yeah. let's call it a day. We're uh, we're definitely out of time. I just wanted to thank Christine again for coming on. You're very welcome. Thanks for well, we're, we're going to have to have you on again for sure, then, because uh, there's there, yeah. there's you know this whole avenue we can definitely delve into more. <laughs> so. Yeah, uh, the purity of posing. You know, and I bet Christine's got yeah. some great things to say about. And I can share all my posing stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fantastic. Posing in the oh. line at the local Wendy's. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then get heroic on the posing platform. <laughs> all right, all right, guys. Well, uh, thanks again. Yeah, we'll see you next week. Iron Radio is accepting donations. If you like what we do, the professors, the scientists, the bodybuilding show promoters, the athletes themselves in powerlifting and bodybuilding, um, please consider making a donation or maybe buying something from the ironradio.org store. Uh, We also are accepting supporting members. So for $4 a month, which is frankly less than the bank sneaks out of your account in fees, you can step up and support a form of sort of public radio for the bodybuilding and powerlifting and strength community. Hey, IronRadio.org listeners. This is Lonnie Lowry, and I'm just bringing you a sneak peek only for Iron Radio listeners at this point. If you Google CRC Press, Lowry, L-O-W-E-R-Y, and Protein, you can be some of the first people on the planet to see this book. It's specifically for strength athletes, Everything on the safety of high-protein diets, the efficacy, the dosing, the types, practical applications, and case studies. This is a textbook. It's not what I would call an industry book. This is not pseudoscience. This is the state-of-the-art science. And if someone wants to critique you on your extra protein intake, this will be something you can hold up and say, this is what the literature says about stressed kidneys or 
bone loss or gout or dehydration or increased muscle mass over time or leanness or what types are best. This is the ultimate source in one place. Little disclosure here. I do make a single digit percentage of royalties on this book. It's such a low amount, however. Obviously, I haven't done it for that purpose. I did it because, like you, I want to have something I can hold up in one place that's modern literature instead of what perhaps a health educator might tell you about the benefits and the potential concerns, if there are any, on ample protein diets specific to a population like ours. Thank you. The Iron Radio Podcast and all of the audio on ironradio.org is for informational purposes only. If you're interested in starting a diet or exercise program, it's important to check with your physician. Also seek the help of registered dietitians, athletic trainers, and qualified exercise physiologists in order to make the progress that you need.